Hello, welcome back to the Tune Lighting Podcast with me, your host, Rob Ragglesworth, uh, and I'm joined with uh, by co-host and bandmate Jack Edwards. Hi. As always. Hey, Jack. Uh, this is, if for newbies to the podcast, um, if you haven't listened before and you've just tuned in randomly for some reason, uh, the concept is that we are attempting to write and record a musical album from scratch in just one year, uh, and we're about three months into that year so far. So if you haven't listened to the other episodes and you want to figure out how we got to this point, um, then do go back and have a listen. But here we are now, uh, just over three months in and uh, yeah, it's not it's not going too bad. Um, how's uh, how's progress your end, Jack? I've, uh, I've got a few updates for you at my end, but how, how are things going on your side of Manchester? They are going steadily. Uh, last week's episode we we made a few pledges um mm. and one of my pledges was to focus more of my time on uh defining the kind of concepts and themes and unifying threads of the album what they could be so, so you've been doing some soul searching and we're doing a bit more soul searching some dark rooms <laughs> <laughs> well my room my room is fairly dark by default so yes and i've I started writing things down, which uh, I probably should have been doing more of anyway. Shout out to Matt for that bit of advice. Cheers, cheers, <laughs> Matt Ragglesworth. Um, writing things down is, it turns out, a good way to organise your thoughts. Uh, so yeah, I've I've made some progress towards that. So I've got a couple more weeks, well, three more weeks, I think, before July ends. And uh, we need to make some concrete decisions. What about you? Nice. Well, yeah, kind of contrary to our pledge, but I'm going to say this does come with a caveat because uh, I ordered these things before I made the pledge. So before you uh, you tell me off uh, for not writing you a letter as we agreed, that whenever I order, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I made the pledge that because I've been buying needless equipment and downloading all sorts of plugins without any real intention of using them, I have to write to Jack to explain myself uh, <laughs> before I ordered them. So... Uh, but I ordered these just before and uh, actually it is to do with uh, the blog. I'm actually reviewing both of them as well as part of that. But um, yeah, I ordered two different um, two different microphones. They're both condenser microphones because um, up until now I've just been using uh, a Shure uh, SM58, which is a dynamic microphone, which is more of a live microphone actually. We'll, we'll talk about microphones in a future episode. We'll get too far into it. Uh, but I've finally, I've been wanting to buy a condenser microphone for ages and I finally splashed out uh, on a couple um, to, to trial. I've been wanting to record some live guitar for quite a while. Um, up until now, I've been just plugging my guitar directly into my audio interface, which gives you, which is fine. And you can add effects afterwards and things like that. And it, it does mean that you aren't worried about acoustics in the room and things like that you can just get down to it and just record some ideas but it does leave you quite often with a bit of a a lifeless kind of it feels it doesn't feel live and it, it sometimes loses something so I've been really keen to try and record some live guitars and yeah it was uh, it recorded some some pretty good uh, good sounding stuff it's given me a new kind of lease of life I think because there's something about recording a live amp that just felt it felt good it felt like I was uh, a bit a bit more professional so that was what I was up to yesterday and uh, recording live guitars actually I was um this is probably the first time that I uh, started meddling with one of your demos <laughs> oh yeah yeah Which first one? Bit of, 
because we've been working quite uh been quite silos really. we've, yeah we've we've um we kind of made that decision to to work separately and bring stuff together eventually because it's just easier than working on one track and sharing back and forth i think partly by design partly by the fact that we're self-isolated uh, so it does make collaboration a bit trickier but yeah this was uh, dance to the death which i think we've played a few uh, clips of on the episode um and i tried re-recording the guitars live and i wouldn't say this is the this is the weird thing once you've heard the track in its original demo form you kind of get used to it sounding that way and when it's when you change the guitar so i changed the guitars and they definitely sound brighter and more live but do they sound better i'm not really sure and it's something i think i think i came to the the at the end i just left all the tracks in place and thought maybe the final mix will end up being a blended version of the two or maybe we'll you know because that that is quite a common produ- production technique that you may blend many different types of guitar together to create the final sound but i thought Good to have options, so uh, it it does it maybe it doesn't sound better, but it definitely sounds different. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. I look I look forward to hearing what you've done. Um, certainly not against uh, against a more accomplished guitar player taking on the guitar parts because <laughs> um, I'm certainly not a natural. Uh, so from a technical point of view, I'm sure there's some improvement. Um, yeah, it's even with demos, it's easy to kind of get used to this. The sound of the original and start to believe that that's that's how it should sound um so i guess it maybe takes a fresh pair of ears to decide which is actually better i think it's good to have the options then we can critically when we get to the mixing stage a bit later on we can listen to the different guitars turn switch them on and off and maybe try blending them together a bit and see what sounds best right so in this episode we're going to talk about something which is quite unglamorous but still fairly important and that is uh, <laughs> before you switch off <laughs> oh i mean we'll we'll do our best to jazz it up a bit um we've got a little quiz planned for, for later in the episode to uh stop you all nodding off but it's file organization and we've talked a bit about workflow in a physical sense how even having the smallest bit of uh resistance a messy room that kind of thing can can stop you stop you getting down to work and make life awkward. And certainly as anyone who's worked with a computer on any kind of endeavor will know, um, having a poor digital workflow or bad bad filing system can also make your life a bit of a misery. Indeed it can. I mean, I've looked at my laptop, which I got just before the start of this process, which I've solely used uh, for recording music. Uh, that's a big thing, you see. So I've I've made the mistake of starting with that aim because my laptop's a couple of years old now, um, my MacBook, uh, and I started with that aim and it's slowly crept into using it for pretty much everything, uh, video editing, all sorts of things, and I am having to face that reality now. So yeah, good to hear that you're you're sticking to those guns so far because it's a uh, yeah, slippery slope. Yeah, I am for now, and. Yeah, if you don't have that free laptop or you've got videos and documents and music and all those other things, as well as other programs running, then you've got to delete stuff or move things around or at the very yeah, you least. You really don't want to be doing that. Yeah, that is resistance in a form, isn't it? If you have to start doing things like that, you want to just get to work and not have to worry about constantly 
saving stuff elsewhere or deleting old tracks and things like that. I mean, eventually, yeah, you do want to have clean outs every now and again, I guess. But I bought like a, a laptop deliberately for music and it was uh, one of the things I wanted to make sure is it had plenty of storage. It's got like 500 gigabytes of storage. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm kind of over halfway with, with, <laughs> with using that now because, as I said, I've used it for other things but even with just music i've never deleted any tracks even old demos and stuff so i will have a clear out i do need to i've made the decision that i've just bought actually a dedicated uh, external hard drive and i'm going to use that for well i'm going to trial out using that for everything because it's like Mm. and then just keep the laptop free um because I just think, yeah, keeping everything in one place is, and yeah, having it back. But, but then I guess the thing is, I've been, I have been backing stuff up. So it's like, yeah, was, there's always that fear of losing. I was going to ask. So, yeah, because mm. that's something I haven't done. Um, all my files, apart from the ones I've shared with you online, only live on the laptop. I think my laptop came with like a OneDrive kind of automatic upload thing um, where it would store files somewhere in the cloud, but it had a limit mm. of about five gig, which got used up pretty quickly. And I just found it really cumbersome to work with to a point where yeah, I found for some reason that certain tracks just went missing after that because they tried to upload them to the cloud and therefore removed them from where they ought oh, to shit. have been on my laptop or something like yeah. that. So I, t- I turned the whole thing off. Uh, but I suppose it would be a good idea at some point to get a an external hard drive like you've done to back things yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's whether I get, I, I've got this one I'm using at the moment is a backup. And then I probably, I'm thinking about getting, cause I have heard a lot of producers uh, who, who work at home and a home studio who do just record directly to an external hard drive to keep everything separate or at least keep like all plugins and stuff. Cause they can take up a lot of room on your computer. Uh, I think just trying to stop it from overworking and, and, uh, you know, leading to it crashing and and or lagging and things like that the one thing i've always struggled with and i don't know about you jack and something i've found quite quite funny over the years is uh naming tracks i I remember i went through a phase when i was younger of just literally mashing the keyboard i would just go (laughs) slam my fist down slam my palm down on the keyboard like because i just couldn't be bothered with the the mentally taxing uh, the thought process of coming up with a name every time like yeah or, it, would, it would usually yeah. be at the end of the end of a session when you've finished your recording for a day you're knackered you, you're about, <laughs> you're about, yeah you're knackered you're about to save it you just need to name it something i find for some reason when i mash for keys and do something like that it's always the same letters that come out <laughs> i've obviously got some muscle it's memory where i'll you. mash like <laughs> an sd and an f in various combinations yeah it always come out so i've got 60 <laughs> songs named stuff yeah and then i'll go through a phase of calling them like um funky sounding song one or like funky bass two like you know and all these kind of things and yeah, then just it just gets confusing descriptive I names really can't um remember i remember when we were a band um uh, and my go-to method of naming songs or working titles then was just to look around the room and just pick an inanimate object of some sort. So uh, I, I can't I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I'm sure. Yeah, I know I had like one called lamp. Red Red Pen Lid, <laughs> Whole Bunch, yeah, so. <laughs> and these kept their names for a long time. A, a favorite of mine from a band, a song we recorded, was originally named Gertrude. 
which sounds like quite an interest. It might have quite an interesting backstory. But what it was, the painting in your in your house back when we were practicing, which has just got the word Gertrude on, and it's as simple as that. There's there is no Gertrude that that song was written about, and it and changed, obviously, yeah. changed its name eventually. Anyway, <laughs> but it's weird because those working titles remain for a very long time, a lot of the time until, well, at least you got to the lyrics or the song started to me have some kind of meaning. I guess some, sometimes it may be. It may come down to when you've actually you get to the album stage, and I feel like uh, there's been albums made where the working titles have just stayed and stuck, haven't there? I mean, yeah, I'm thinking of like Bon Iver and and people like that. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, some weird, some weird, uh, some weird track names come out even in in albums sometimes. So yeah, I mean, what's what's your current go to method of uh, naming tracks, Jack? Because I've kind of got through, gone through a couple of uh, things over the last couple of months which i'll share with you in a minute of my current working title methodology <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm aware that you you are more methodical with this you've um i'll let you explain but i know that you've kind of gone through themes where each <laughs> uh each track will follow the same theme whereas i'm more scattergun um there's a few which are basically just describing the song one called jewel riff one called not actually backwards because there's a little sound on there which sounds like it's uh like a, a track playing in reverse but it's not it's just for simp sound yeah uh, some of them are named after presets on my synth like ghost piano uncertain drone <laughs> some of them are kind of time signatures like seven four um and some of them are kind of roughly what B sounds evoke. I've got one called Banshee, one called Glacier, one called Stomp of the Spooks because it sounds, <laughs> you know, a, a bit, a bit Halloweeny, but with a bit of a, a bit of a beat. A bit of stomp. So it's it's all over the place, really. Yeah, and I I decided after a while of this frustration of not being able to name tracks or not being able to think of names to tracks quickly. And I decided my technique would be to work, start with A, the letter A, and work from A to Z and keep doing that um, with place names, which work quite well because you know, it's quite easy to think of place names beginning with uh, lots of letters. I mean, I've got a uh, geography A level, so, you know, and you can always flick onto Google Maps quite quickly if you need to. So, um, yeah, I, I did that for a while. I think I got to A from A to Z twice, actually. Um, but for some reason, I just seem to completely abandon that when we started this project and I've gone back to my old habits of just kind of similar to you, just whatever thought comes into my head, which just leaves me with a hard drive full of absolute nonsense. If you want to find something quickly, say, mm. yeah, we've talked before about you might be in the shower or, or you you go for a run and you suddenly have an idea for a, a guitar part for a song you've been working on. And then there's nothing worse than getting back and being like, what was that song? called again <laughs> i mean some of the ones i've got from <laughs> my recent project is going to say like like similar to you i've got one called wetland which is because i tried sampling some background noises from from a wetland habitat <laughs> that's that's got so that's got some method to it i think you can identify that one that that one's fine but i've definitely got things creeping back in again like song one which <laughs> is useless um yeah and like fading uh, because it sounds like it's uh, fading out at the end. Fuzzy, fuzzy track, um, Highland dance, you know, these kind of things. <laughs> so it's just, I've, I've slipped back into that habit. And like with the file organization, I think it, this has been a bit of a wake up call for me. I'm going to go away after this podcast and 
do the boring old spring clean and sit down and dedicate a couple of hours to just sorting my life out because it's resistance again and it's uh we need to make sure we have as little of that as possible as we discussed before i wonder if it needs uh further filing so i've got a folder called ableton tracks where all the project files sit and if there's two versions of the same track say i've made one at a different tempo or change a key then they'll sit in their own subfolder which is fine but other than that all the tracks just sit in one big uh, one big folder so i'm wondering if there needs to be some more subdivision there maybe sorting out certain genres or songs that are finished and unfinished yeah. well there's one more thing i'd like to discuss about this before moving on to the quiz and that is how good are you at organizing things within a track so do you name your files do you color code each track <laughs> Uh, I would say I go in phases again. I think the more excited I am about a track, the more I'll make an effort. I've got a little bit better. This is kind of getting into mixing a bit more, but it's part of learning how to produce properly. Uh, I've started getting a bit better with using return tracks and things like that as well. So instead of having different effects on every single track, sending them to return tracks instead so you could have like a, re a reverb return track and you send certain tracks to that same reverb return track rather than having to put hundreds of effects on each uh, each different track which just keeps everything a little bit more organized and a little bit easier to get your head around so uh, so does that yeah. like does that effectively aggregate a number of effects into one kind of preset exactly yeah so you you'd have uh what is known as an effects chain i guess yeah um, yeah instead of having that on the individual track if you want to try and create a reverb that is reflected in multiple tracks i.e so it doesn't get too messy so it's as if you're recording in a room with a certain reverb then put that you put that on a return track and then you can send uh, a percentage of a track to that return track and then there's things like um buses as well so that's that's typically the way you would do, work, with, work with drums so you have you have all your drums on different tracks and then you send all your drums to one return track known as a drum bus which like kind of yeah, colla collaborates them all together into a into a kit again things like that are, are really important and stuff that you obviously get better at the more you produce but yeah, for my working demo tracks, I've uh, I've been pretty sloppy, to be honest. And uh, as part of my wake-up call from this episode, I will uh, pledge to be making a lot of pledges these days. I'll uh, I'll pledge to be better at doing that as well because um, yeah, it's 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 easy to just end up with twenty tracks of who knows what, and I'm just sat there looking at the waveforms effectively to figure out what. Yeah, or you well, have to go and solo each track. Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's all about resistance again. Naming them is important, um, especially if it's a, a source effect or a synth sound that you can't automatically identify. At least kind of name the track what the preset is or what I used... Before I was uh, stuck in lockdown without an amp, um, I do everything kind of straight into the interface these days. But when I was recording mics to amps, I had to have a little notebook where I would kind of jot down the position of the dials on the amp or the FX mm. pedal saying, oh, this one's at two o'clock, this one's at 12 o'clock. Uh, just so if I needed to go back in weeks or months time, I knew what uh, 
what sound the guitar was. Yeah. So I could replicate I think that, that. was fairly that was fairly common. I think very fairly common into before presets and you know, digital storing of sounds was came in on on synths and stuff. I think that was what people had to do. Put little stickers on and or just memorize by kind of by eye or write down what um what the dials were doing. That was something I learned the hard way because I would just call it um yeah I'd call it delayed synth or something like what's what synth was it on yeah exactly how delayed all these things i think are, are quite important especially if you're going to be recording over a number of different sessions sure and i i do try and color code to a certain extent um if percussion is the main thing i try and make sure all those tracks are lined up next to each other all got the same or similar mm. color or a different gradient of the same color and maybe things that are going to Parts that come in at the intro, try and get them at the top. Um, parts that are coming in at the same time, further down, get them next to each other. Yeah, um, that is another good good point, actually. Yeah, get grouping tracks in a, in a way when they how they interact with the in the song. Uh, there's nothing more confusing than when you've got about fifty tracks going on, and then something comes in that doesn't sound quite right, and you're like, "Where is which, which track yeah, exactly. is that?" Where it's is that, like, it's amazing. You can spend. You can literally spend 10 minutes if you've got a 50 track um song trying to work out where this noise is coming from <laughs> it shouldn't yeah. be shouldn't be the case at all yeah and especially if you didn't uh, write it yourself i mean i i had that with oh, yeah. uh, with the track i was working of yours yesterday and it's uh it there was a sound i was like which track is that coming from and eventually i figured it out but it was like it was i had to scroll quite far down to be like oh right it's that little like little synth sound that you added in there it's quite quite interesting but yeah well i think yeah that's a good point actually when we're collaborating uh remotely it comes even more important to yeah it does to label things up correctly i'll, uh, I'll try and try and do better yeah i'll go away and uh, more things to try and do better at you know it's good that we're holding ourselves accountable via this podcast because we'd be an absolute mess otherwise <laughs> <laughs> well to finish i've got another little quiz and this is all about working titles of famous songs Nice. Now, in the vein of the um, musical architecture round that we got your brother to do when he was on the pod, yeah, uh, it's going to be very difficult. I'm not necessarily <laughs> expecting you to get many, if any, points. But, nonetheless, it, yeah. it might be interesting to um, to discover how some famous bands originally... It'll be interesting. The quiz element may be uh, a farcical. failure, but either way, it, the the answers, I'm sure, will be interesting. All right, let's get started with right. one of the more famous examples. So the song originally called Scrambled Eggs. It's a Beatles song. I'll give you, you know, I'll let you guess the song and then I'll right. let you guess where it came from. Hmm, scrambled eggs, scrambled eggs. What would that have been an early one? I'm going to say it was late later on when they were experimenting in uh, in a few psychedelics and things, maybe a bit more. Was it um, come together? It wasn't. It was yesterday. <sighs> any <laughs> any <laughs> wild guesses as to why? Um. Did is it because did they just is that what he was singing and go over the top when he first started writing it? Like, yeah, you, yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> That's exactly it. Scrambled eggs. Oh my baby, how I love your legs. Not as much as I love scrambled eggs. Um, I think it was always intended to be placeholder lyrics. 
but that's what the lyrics were. Those quirky Beatles. That's funny. I've never, I've, I've, I mean, yeah, it's a little side note. I've not really tried. When I do kind of demo lyrics, I tend to just mumble and they, the words don't really make. I've never gone to the length of actually writing a line that is like that. Maybe I'll, try, I'll trial that. Scrambled eggs. Hmm. Oh, the world is a, would have been a better place if those were the final lyrics, I feel. <laughs> There's another Beatles one here called Bad Finger Boogie. You're not going to get the oh, song. Eh? I'm not going to get the song. Unless you think you know it, <laughs> no, no, just it kind of. I was, I was, I was. That was more me going. Oh, this has got to be a song that sounds quite dark and maybe got quite a distinct bass line to it. But if you're saying I'm not going to get it, I'm not. Interesting. Get it. The song is, uh, it's not dark. It's with a little help from my friends. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think you've already guessed at a reason, but that was incorrect. Um, it was simply because John Lennon had an injured hand when they were playing the demo. <laughs> so we called it Bad Finger Boogie. Ah, there, that's a good, a good working title. A kind of uh, insight into that's obviously one that came very early in the songwriting process before mm. we even got the fake lyrics or anything. Um, I'll rattle you through, through some more. I might sack off some of the quiz element because <laughs> it's virtually yeah, you impossible. Just, I, I'm enjoying just the the trivia element. Okay, of, so of a bit more trivia. There's one here called Iron Bloke. <laughs> by Black Sabbath it's one of the most famous it's Iron Man um, oh yeah yeah yeah. Mm. yeah I forgot that was even them so this was kind of one of those songs a bit like how we name songs sometimes where they just thought the music reminded them of something in this case Ozzy Osbourne thought that riff sounded just like a big iron bloke walking about <laughs> but they eventually changed it from Iron Bloke to Iron Man yeah, interesting. That's kind of a thing where the sound has almost gone right through to yeah being the theme of the final final song. Indeed. Cool. Very good. Well, thanks uh, for that quiz, Jack. Although I completely failed um, at it, it was uh, it was some interesting trivia. Yeah, <laughs> one of these days I'll I'll make a quiz that's actually doable by <laughs> without cheating. So that's it for another episode of the Tune Lighting Podcast. Thanks again to everyone that's listened so far. Um, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast uh, so you get it downloaded automatically each week and you can keep up with our journey to uh, write and record an album in just one year. And we'd love to hear from uh, anyone out there who's listening, just even if it's just a note on social media to let us know that you're uh, you're listening in. Or uh, if you want to send in any questions or thoughts or comments that you have, please do to uh, tunelighting at musicianshq.com and yeah if you've got any if you're thinking of uh, trying to write and record your own album in a year or if you've just got any new music that you want to share then please do send it in and perhaps we'll play a clip of it on the podcast um, the listeners are growing every week so um, yeah it'll be a good exposure for, for yourself if you've got music that you want playing so uh, yeah go for it But that's it from me this week and um, I hope that you tune in to the next episode next week for more from the Tune Lighting Podcast. <laughs>